0: Today, I'm going to ask the question What is the biggest evidence that a person is a follower of Jesus Christ? The biggest evidence. You meet a person, you see a person, and the biggest, clearest evidence that a person is a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a couple things that it's not. First thing, it's not church attendance. Uh, there's a lot of people that hide out in the church. There's a lot of people that act like, well, I go to the church and I've gone for 40 years. The biggest evidence that a person's a follower of Jesus Christ is not church attendance. Now, I want to tell you, church attendance is important. We grow as we're, we're tied to and we worship with each other in the church. But that's not the biggest evidence that a person is a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not who you run with. Sometimes we think, well, I'm with a, a Christian set of folks and a, a Christian set of guys, and we're known as, as church people or as good people. And well, that for sure that must be a saved person. They they run with that crowd of people. It's not who you run with. Uh, it's not what you say. And we, we live in an age especially of big talkers. Of, of self-proclaimers, of, of self-promoters, and, and it's a big deal to, to God bless you and I'm praying for you, brother, and, and to, to use that language. It's not what you say uh, that's the biggest evidence of a follower of Jesus Christ. The biggest evidence that a person is a follower of Jesus Christ, that they've put their faith in Jesus Christ is a changed heart that results in changed priorities You desire different things, and that results in a changed life. Very simply, the biggest evidence that a person is a follower of Jesus Christ is a life that is changed. And I want to tell you, you mark that down, you you survey the landscape, the biggest evidence that a person is a follower of Jesus Christ is a life that has been radically transformed, has been changed. We act like, well, that's not that big of a deal, and, and judge not, lest you be judged, and I don't want to hold anybody to this standard, Uh, The biblical truth is the biggest evidence that a person's walking with Christ is a life that is totally, radically changed. And the reason it's changed is because our priorities have changed. And the reason our priorities have changed is because our hearts have changed in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this. The biblical truth is this. You cannot follow Jesus Christ and stay the same. We act like, well, it's this decision, you're going to go to heaven, that's a settled thing. That's not what it means to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to actually put your faith in him. The biblical truth is this, you cannot follow Jesus Christ and stay the same. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is passed away. That's the evidence. The old has passed away. And he says, Behold, that word means take a look, observe. The old has passed away. Take a look, the new has come. Man, I want to tell you today if you've followed Jesus Christ as your Lord and, and Savior, that's going to be evident in a life that is totally radically changed. That is the biblical truth. Now, let me say this and be sure you understand what I'm saying here. We sin, I sin. We mess up, I mess up, we fail. But my heart's desire, our heart's desire as a Christian is to honor God. You get up, my desire today is to honor God. I wanna wanna be a blessing to him. I wanna reflect his glory back to him. And so you know what, how I think, my priorities have radically changed and therefore my lifestyle has radically changed. There are some ways that I used to think that I can no longer think those ways anymore. It doesn't line up with what God says in his word. There are some things I used to do that I can no longer do those things. It doesn't add up with what my Savior desires for me as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, be sure and hear this at the same time. We do not change in order to be saved. There's a lot of people say, well, if you'll quit cussing and you'll quit this and you'll, you'll quit these activities, then you're ready to be saved. We do not change in order that God might save us. No, we're saved. We put our faith in Christ, and so then we change. The evidence is a changed life. Today, we're going to keep going. We're going verse by verse through 1 Peter, a letter that Peter writes to to people that have put their faith in Christ who are being persecuted because of it. They're having to stand up in a world that's going one way while they're going a different way, And, and Peter writes this letter. Today, we've moved. Last week, actually, ...into the fourth chapter, and today we're going to continue moving verse by verse through the fourth chapter. I'm going to start and back up and read the verses from last week, and then we're going to stack on top of that. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh the truth of the gospel, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, verse 2 so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. The first two verses of chapter four say this, we have a changed heart because of our faith in Jesus Christ. It says we arm ourselves, we live for a different purpose and that purpose is the purpose of Jesus Christ. We've armed ourselves for the same purpose, the purpose of Jesus. It also says there in that second verse, we no longer live according to our desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of men. It's not our will, but we now live according to what God desires for us. Really that verse says this, because we've had a heart change, we have a priority change. And instead of taking up our cause and living for our cause, we now live for his cause. How many of us, And think about the course of our lives today. How many of us wake up and whether we write it down or whether it pops into our mind, whether we've thought about it during the night, how many of us wake up and we have a list of what we need to do? And we have a list of what we want to do. I want to do this today. We have a list of what we are going to do. You know, what? there's some things that we set out to do that I'm going to make sure those things get done And if you notice, when we wake up in the morning, we are the driving motivation in our life. We're the driving factor in our life. It's all about us. And I'm up today, and here's what I want to do, and here's what I need to do. Here's what I'm going to make sure gets done. And I, we are the driving motivation in our life. How many men do you know that wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I live for God? Today, I, I seek to honor him. Now, I may be a carpenter. I may be a, a pharmacist. I may be a banker. I may be a salesman. Whatever my, my, my occupation is, that's not what we're talking about. But today, I get up and I live for God. Today, I seek to honor God with this day that I've been giving. You see, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have a change of heart. Because we have a change of heart, we have a change in purpose. And with that change in purpose, we have a change in priority. Let me tell you this, there is no way to follow Jesus Christ and not desire to honor Jesus Christ with your life. That's that's the truth. We follow him as Lord. What is the Lord? He tells us what to do. He tells us how to live. He tells us this is the standard. We submit to him. And so there's no way to be a follower of Jesus Christ and not have a desire to honor Christ. Now we do fail. We do mess up. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the desire of your heart is to live in a way that honors Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you understand that as a grown man, he's beaten beyond recognition, he's nailed to a Roman cross, the wrath of God towards sin is poured out on him, and it was meant for you, and he endures that, he's put in a grave, he comes out of that grave alive. When you understand that you're saved by that, not because you ever got good enough, you have a change in heart. Heart, and it results in a change in your priorities. You cannot follow Jesus Christ and not desire to honor Jesus Christ. Alright, moving to the next verses. Verses for today. New verses. Verse 3. For the time is already for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued, of course, of sensuality, lust. Drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Listen to the third verse again. For the time already passed, that means the day's already gone, is sufficient. That word sufficient in, in the Greek means this, it is enough, but it means more than that, it is more than enough. The time already passed is more than enough. It is sufficient. For you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they would have understood the Gentiles were the pagans. The time has already passed. The time has already gone. You've had more than enough time to live as a pagan. To live really just as a lost person. And that's, that's what it's talking about. You've lived long enough like a lost person. You've lived long enough like a lost world. And you've had long enough. It says that you've pursued a course of that. What that means is it becomes the pattern of your life. You wake up and the pattern of the life of a lost person becomes the pattern of your life. The time is past, and it is sufficient. It's been enough. Then Peter, and Paul does the same thing when he writes, but Peter here then gives us a listing of what that pattern of life looks like. You've had long enough to live like a lost person. Here is what that pattern of life looks like. And he gives us a listing. And let me go through the words here. It says, sensuality sensuality now what that means sometimes we think well that's, that's sexual right off the bat it's really it's not it includes that but it's really not talking about that it means this you are led by your senses you are motivated you're driven by your senses now we would say this it means if it feels good then do that and that's the standard if you like to do that if you enjoy to do that then that's what you do And if that's true, then that means you'd avoid suffering at all costs. He's writing to folks that are are terribly suffering. If that's the the truth, you'd avoid hard stuff at all costs. And so you're led by your senses. And if something's good, you do that. And if you enjoy something, you do that. But if it's hard or if it hurts, then you're not going to do any of that. That's what it's saying here. It's about how you feel. It's about your pleasure, about your comfort. Let me just say this. Isn't that how we live today? I want this job because it has this pay because it brings these things. I don't care what God wants. I'm going to do this because it brings this and I'm going to get this at the end of the day and I don't care what God wants. Isn't that how we live today? Everything is about pleasing us. Everything is about satisfying us. Isn't that how we're raising our kids today? Well, I did this and that coach yelled at me, I'm done. Well, I was gonna mow the yard, but it's hot and we'll, we'll do somebody else. We'll pay somebody else to mow the yard. That's too hard. And we're raising our kids to have the same mindset. It's about how you feel. And the greatest, goal is, is the greatest goal is that you'd be happy and all your senses would be pleased. That's the first thing. You live to satisfy your senses. A lost world, that's how a lost world lives. You know what? You've had long enough to live like that. The list goes on. Lust. Lust. Now what that means is a longing, a desire for those things we just talked about. Really, you're consumed by your desire for those things, which means this. I want this. And whatever that is, that could be anything. I want the new pickup with the 20-inch wheels. I want this and I'm consumed by it. I want this. I want to have a wife and a girlfriend too. I want this. And you're consumed by those things and you're driven by those things and it's this strong desire that consumes you to satisfy those things that that are are of the world. We're consumed by our lust. Now think about what the end result of that's gonna be. A person who is consumed by their lust, they go through life and they're jealous and they're greedy and they're selfish and they're self-centered. Isn't that the world we live in today? Aren't those the kids we're raising today? They're greedy and they're selfish and they're self-centered. Isn't that what we've become as men today? Isn't that the kind of husbands we are today? It's all about us and I'm jealous of what everybody else has. And I don't want them to have good things. And I deserve those things. And it's all about me satisfying my evil, corrupt self. Lust. The next word, drunkenness. Pretty easy to explain. In the Greek it means drunkenness. Intoxication. Watch this word. We kind of laugh this word off. But I think there's two two things that go with drunkenness. And let me just say this. I'll just say it. I'm I'm a Baptist preacher, but I'll say it. Drinking is not a sin. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't say drinking is a sin. I'll tell you why I don't drink. But drinking is not a sin. But very clearly in Scripture, drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. Here's two things that I've noticed about drunkenness. You drink, number one... To try to kill something. And you may know guys like that. You may be a person like that. You know what? There's something that I don't like. There's something that I have to deaden. And maybe it's something I, I've had in the past. Maybe it's something I'm involved in right now. But you drink to kill something. And you know what? I, I can't really operate until I, I have seven or eight or nine of these things that I've killed something enough to operate. I hear the story about Bill Parcells when he was the coach for the Cowboys talks about the drive that he has and it really matches up with this. And he says on Sunday night, you finish the game on Sunday night and you go home on Sunday night and if you lost, you can't let it go. What if we'd have done that on third down? What if that guy had got in there? What if he'd have made that catch and you can't let it go? If you win, you start thinking, well, what about that receiver they've got? What about those defensive backs that we've got to adjust for? And he says the only way he could go to bed at night was to drink 16 cruise lights. One of the reasons we drink is to kill something. Another reason we drink is to feel something. And I I can tell you a whole lot of people are not that tough till they drink and also they feel tough. A lot of people are pretty sad and they drink 12 beers and they're pretty happy and they want to feel something and that's the way of the lost world. Don't figure out the problem that it's a missing relationship with Jesus Christ but I've got to kill a bunch of stuff that I can operate or I've got to feel a bunch of stuff that I could be happier that I could operate. Drunkenness. The next word, carousing, means wild partying, just means partying, a lifestyle of partying. We're, we're going from party to party. You know what? We knocked it out. I got to put in some work this week, but Friday we're going to start again and we're going to party on Saturday. A life of partying. It goes further than that and says drinking parties. 1,970 years ago, there's an issue of drinking parties. I thought that happened in the 80s. Drinking parties. Now, what a, what a drinking party is, it's a party where the focus is alcohol. How many parties do you know that the focus is anything but alcohol? We're going to cook out. How much beer you got? We're going to watch the Cowboys. How much beer you got? We're going to get together for the, for the 4th of July. Can we get a keg? We're going to have a New Year's party. I got this and we've got all the alcohol. It is a party where the focus of the party is straight up alcohol. I don't know, I don't don't get out much anymore, but I don't know many parties where the focus isn't alcohol. Drinking parties, that's the pattern of a lost world. Abominable idolatries. There's a lot of thought that that what that means. Abominable means this, God hates it. Idolatry basically means this. Anything that replaces God. Your lifestyle is filled with anything that replaces God. And I just think that the whole list matches that. My status replaces God. My wealth replaces God. My partying replaces God. My drinking replaces God. Anything, and God hates all of it, that would replace God. We're trying to take these things and replace God. Isn't that our culture? Isn't that the world we live in? Peter says this. Where's that gotten you? What's that producing? We have a bigger mission. We serve a risen Savior. We're supposed to tell people about Christ. They're killing us for this belief. We're being persecuted for this belief. We had enough time in the past to do those things. It's time to move on from those things. Basically, he's saying this, and the answer is still the same thing today. All of those things. Man, you can do all of those things, and you get nowhere. In fact, you probably get backed up. You can do all of those things and you can have no hope in your life. You can do all of those things and when you wake up and the party's over, you're empty again. And here's the thing, you burn up a whole lot of days trying to feel something that those things aren't gonna feel. You waste a whole lot of days and your stomach's filled with regret. For nothing. Really, it's just for nothing. Next week, we're gonna come back And we're gonna finish those set of verses. We're gonna go from verse one all the way to verse six, and we're gonna we're gonna finish that set of verses. But today I I wanna do this. Today I want to come and I wanna tell you where our answer is at. You see, there's the way of the lost world, and it ends in nothing, and it ends in broken homes and broken hearts and trouble and chaos, or there's our answer that we have, our hope that we have. In Jesus Christ. And so I I want to tell you, some of us in this room today, and I want to make this as personal as I can, some of us in this room today need this to be the day that everything changes. You've chased this and you've sought that and you've burned yourself up on a treadmill and it didn't get you anywhere and you keep turning another corner thinking the answer's behind this corner and you turn that corner and there's not an answer. Some of us in this room today need this to be the day that everything changes. So I'm going to ask just for a few moments, we're almost done, that you set your pride aside, that you actually listen, and I'm going to tell you where we find hope. Some of us here today need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason we exist is to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to go as fast as I can. The good news of Jesus Christ is this. We're all sinners. All of us are sinners. Now, I read through that list. I I can see you all, but you can't really see me. Uh, as clearly as I can see your eyes. I go through that list and some of you are like, yeah. Oh, parties, yeah, that's that dude. Carousing, oh, that's that whole table over there. Uh, we have a pretty good idea of how sorry everybody else is, but we're really not worried about ourselves. Oh, that table for sure. Oh, the lust of the world, man, these are some greedy people in this whole center section. I want to tell you the truth of the Bible is this. All, every person here is not worth, not worth two cents, according to what God says. Our sin, we broke a relationship with a holy God. He loves us. He created us for something awesome. And we say, you know what, I'd rather do my own thing. And we spit in his face. We don't say that. I'm fine with him. We're not fine with him. We broke our relationship with him. All of us have sinned. All of us are guilty of sin. Nobody in here is better than anybody else. All of us have sinned. Bible tells us that for all sin and fall short of the glory of the God. The next part of it's this, our payment for sin, our punishment for sin is death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, what you've earned by having sin, it is death. I want to tell you, look around. We're living in the process of death. I look more dead today than I did 20 years ago. We're living in the process of death. This is not talking about, it. the Bible says it's a point for man to die. Everybody in here is going to die and on the day that you die, it's a point for man wants to die and then your judgment. God's going to look at you on the day that you die and he's going to say this. Are you perfect? Have you held the perfect standard? And as sinners, we're going to have to say, no, I didn't do it. I, I messed up. I went my own way. I sinned. And you know what? The punishment we've earned by that is death. The book of Revelation in two places calls it the second death. We're separated from God now and I think we feel that. But when we die in that state, we're separated from God for all of eternity. His punishment is poured out on us in a place called hell. The payment, the punishment for sin is death. That's the biblical truth. Here's the good news. God loves you. God absolutely loves you. Messed up, he loves you. As a sinner, he loves you. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he can't stand to see the punishment that's going to come. He can't stand to see you bear that. And so the Bible says this. He sends his only begotten son, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he sends his only begotten son. He comes, he lives a life. He doesn't sin. Because he doesn't sin, he's able to offer himself in our place. Had he sinned, he would have had to pay his own penalty, his own punishment. He doesn't sin. Because he doesn't sin, he can step in and he can pay our penalty. That's what the cross of Calvary is about. Cross of Calvary, we, we have crosses hanging everywhere. We have cross jewelry. We talk about the cross. We sing about the cross. The cross is about this. God loved you so much, he sends his only son. And 2,000 years ago, they take him outside of Jerusalem They beat him, the Bible says, until he wasn't the form of a man. You couldn't tell who he was. They pulled the beard out of his face. They took a crown of thorns. They smashed it into his head. They whip him across his back, most likely to his intestines or beat out of him. They march him up this hill, Golgotha, Calvary. They nail him to the cross. He cannot breathe. He's got to pull up against his nails. His blood runs out and he dies on the cross of Calvary. Actually happened to a living man, Jesus. That's what happens because of sin. But the good news of of the gospel is this God so loved the world, He sent Jesus to take that, to pay the penalty of that, that we'd be free of that. Romans 5 8. But God demonstrates, He doesn't talk about love, He demonstrates it. But God demonstrates His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean He died for you? He went on the cross, He died for you, paying the penalty for your sin. That verse says, while we were yet sinners. I I tell people this all the time. The dang shame of the church is this. We try to act like you're not good enough. Well, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. You're not good enough. And that's what we act like. When you come to our church, well, how big is your Bible? Well, how many times you've been here in a row? Well, I hear hear you cuss when you talk. You're not good enough. I'm going to tell you, the Bible doesn't say to get good enough and then get saved. It says, while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ dies for you. So the good news of the gospel is this. It is settled in Jesus Christ. It's paid in Jesus Christ. Doesn't depend upon you. We're going to screw it up. It doesn't depend on us. It's settled in Jesus Christ. They pull his dead body off the cross. They put it in a grave. Three days later, Easter Sunday morning, he comes out of the grave. He's defeated death. He's paid the penalty. God's received his payment. And he stands. He's alive, our risen Savior. Here's what it means to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10.13 say this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The good news of the gospel is this. You don't have to do it. In fact, you couldn't do it. Jesus already settled it. If you'll profess faith in him, and what he's done. If you'll basically say this, I am a sorry sinner. I have messed up at every turn, but I receive his payment. I believe he died for my sin. I profess him as my Lord, and I believe he's risen from the dead. Both those verses say this, you will be saved. And what that means is this, on the day you die, and you're still going to die unless Jesus comes again. God's going to look at you. Are you perfect? Still the question. And your, your mouth is just about to say, uh, nope. And he's going to say, hold on a minute. All I see is the perfect righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. All I see is the perfectness of my son. He cleaned off your record. He settled all the scores. The Bible says if you profess that with your mouth, you will be saved. Here's the point to all of this. It has to be you. It has to be personal and it has to be your heart. God, I am a sinner. God, I am sorry for that sin. Come into my heart, save me, forgive me. The best I know how I'm going to follow you is my Lord and my Savior. I look around, and I see things that are tough. And I see people that are going through divorces, and it's it's worse than death. And I see people that got things going on with their kids, and it's horrible, it's gut-wrenching. And we, we try to get pumped up and act like, well, this is a pretty good world. I'll tell you what, this world's falling apart, and it's, it's picking up speed as it does it. Last, last week, I finished the men's lunch, and I finished eating. I walk across, and, and Bill and Faye Blue came in. Bill's just had a heart transplant, all the crazy stuff that goes with that, and God's walked him through it. Now, we sit there, and they tell me, you know what, Faye has, has cancer. And you hear that, and I, I don't care. God's going to be with her, and she has great faith. It's going to be hard. That's a serious thing to hear. That, that evening, we leave, and I go to the hospice, and, and a friend of mine's mother is passing away there, and my, my daughter goes with me, and we go in there, and we, we watch a person in the process of saying goodbye to their mother. You ever watch that? Saying goodbye to your mother. That's not a natural thing. That's not an easy thing. We we stand there and we see him cry and we see the, the sickness and the grief. Saying goodbye to your mother. We leave there and we went to the hospital and there was a guy there and, and two hours before I got there he found out he had lung cancer and he's sicker than a dog and you and you sit there and just see the the hurt. You know what that battle's gonna look like and he's standing there and, and really I get outside and I just think this is too much. Who can can stand this? Who who can take this? There's no purpose in all this. How is this ever going to work out? And and in my mind, I just see this. We're just walking towards an empty grave. We're just walking to it. Problem is a whole bunch of us are walking to it blindly and with no hope. The Bible says the grave is never satisfied. I want to tell you that the truth in the midst of that is this. We have hope and the hope still stands. And the hope is in Jesus Christ. And the grave is never satisfied, but we're told the one that we follow has beaten death and he's walked out and he's victorious of it. And in the same chapter where it tells us that, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And the payment for sin is settled. Death is defeated and we have a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you with everything I am, why wouldn't you settle that today? Why wouldn't you put your faith in Jesus today? If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Christ, I pray that you would make this that day. That not because you got good enough, but because of God's grace, you would walk out of here saved today with it settled today. Why wouldn't you do that today? I'm going to ask if you bow your head, if you close your eyes, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and we come and we we profess not to be some super spiritual set of people. We come not to be elitist. We come not as some outstanding people that you would love to save, but we come today as sinners. Each person here, we come as a sinner today. We we come into your presence that we do not deserve to even stand in. But we come into your presence because of Christ. And we come today and tell you we're a sinner. We tell you we're sorry for our sin. God, forgive us of our sin. We're sorry for our sin. We're sorry where we turned against you. We ask that you do forgive us. And you tell us if we ask that you forgive us. We come today and we profess you as our Lord. I profess you as my Lord. The only hope I have is in you. And I'm not so big of a coward, or so big of a hypocrite that I won't say it. Lord, my only hope is in you. And I ask that you would save me, that you'd come into my heart and you'd save me. It wouldn't be based upon my works, it was settled at Calvary. Lord, save me. And then I tell you, Lord, the best I know how, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. Help me do that, empower me to do that. And I'm thankful for that thankful for that peace, thankful for Jesus, thankful for Calvary, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask for just a second, if you're here and you've prayed that prayer for the very first time and you understood it today for the first time, it wasn't just some some set of religious words, but today you say, no, I understood the gospel for the first time. You know what, if you prayed that and and you meant it, the Bible says you're saved today, You're saved today. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask that you'd find me after this. And you'd say, hey, I settled that today. I just want to tell you, I settled that today. If you're in a hurry to get somewhere, you find somebody else. And you say, you know what, I I settled that today. And then, you know what? With a changed heart, with a changed set of priorities and a changed life, we can look like Jesus Christ. If you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to ask that you come and you find me. We'll, We'll talk about it. I'm rejoicing over your decision. I want to say a prayer for all of us today, and we're going to be dismissed. Glad you were here today. Let's pray. Dearly, Father, we come. I'm thankful for these men. And we come, and we see death, and we see destruction, and we see addiction, and we see garbage, and we see jealousy, and we see evil. We see hatred. But in the midst of that, in the midst of the darkness, we see our only hope, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for salvation through Jesus. We praise our Savior, Jesus I pray that we'll go out and we'll proclaim the name of Jesus. And we just come today, and I'm thankful for changed lives. Not in willpower, not in our strength, but in your empowerment. Help us to look like Jesus. I pray for the men in this room. Bless them, lead them, encourage them, use them. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.